When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What is up, everybody, and welcome to the All-NBA Podcast, part of the All-City Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Mares, and I'm joined once again after a week off with my esteemed colleague, Tim Legler. Tim, how was your holiday break? Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you to say, great, man, relaxing, watch some bad football. It was good, man, you know, all, all in all, you know, good family time. Uh, my commanders obviously laid an egg on Thanksgiving Day, which was supposed to be the culmination of a great holiday weekend. That didn't turn out that well. <laughs> but it was, hey, listen. It was good to spend time with the family, rejuvenate, and uh, now here we are back to work, man. Looking forward to a great show. Yeah, there was some good games, some good basketball, too. I, I remember, this is how I know I love the show. Almost every day that we were off, and we were off for six days, I kept thinking, man, I wish we were talking about this game. I wish we were yeah, talking about this right. performance. So we'll have to catch up on some of that. On today's show, we are going to talk about our weekend Warriors. We are going to break down the Knicks and the Suns. Suns on a seven-game win streak, and their game came down to the wire, a game winner from Devin Booker. But a very interesting game. I think a lot of notes from that one on both teams. We're also going to talk about Victor Wimbenyama going up against Nikola Jokic for the first time. Is Victor Wimbenyama a future all-star, a future MVP, a future greatest of all time? We're going to talk about that. What, where, where are we on Victor Wimbenyama? And then we're going to look at teams in the East and the West and predict who's going to rise, who's going to fall based on the current standings. But first, got to tell you that we are presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code ALLNBA. Because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. You have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. Welcome, everybody, in from, into the chat. I want to, starting this week, try to be a little more interactive with the chat. And as we do every Monday, we look at the weekend and give our nominees for a weekend warrior. I want the chat to play along. You watch the games Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'm curious who the chat thinks was your weekend warrior. But first, Legs, I'm going to start with you. Who impressed you over the weekend? Well, I mean, how can you look anywhere other than the Orlando Magic right now, right, and what they're doing? And they get a win on a couple wins on Friday, get a win on Sunday, uh, beat the Boston Celtics, beat Charlotte, and more specifically around the Magic, they've now won seven straight. It's the Wagner brothers. I mean, the Wagner brothers go for 85 points combined in those two games. And Franz had a 30-point game. Uh, Mo had a 27-point game. Uh, they were involved a lot in in combinations yep. where they run an action together, which is interesting. And I said to you earlier on one of the shows, we were talking about the Magic, and I said, you know, 
if you're go-to sort of one-on-one guy and every every team you know has to have those guys late clock uh in, in a possession or you know late in the game and you want to make sure you run some iso action and franz wagner is Ma- the magic's guy and i was like saying is that good enough like if you you know they're winning yeah. games you're still- is that good enough if Franz hold Wagner? On, hold on, you weren't asking if it was good enough. You said it was not good enough. And there it's you funny go. because yeah. we did, we did the magic I'm story. Kind of, yeah. I'm kind of backing off of that a little bit by just uh, actually get <laughs> the question I was posing. Right. <laughs> right. I actually made a definitive statement. That is not uh, good enough. And yet, here they are, man. They're balling out. And it's not just those guys. They're playing with so much confidence. I, one of my problems with them has been I don't think they have a natural lead guard. And Cole Anthony goes out and gets you a 30-point game. So this is – it's insane, really, what's happening right now with the Orlando Magic. It's one of the great stories in the league. We'll see if it can continue or how long it can continue. But this is no longer like a really small sample size. You know, we're we're over a month into the season, and yeah. they're playing that well. And so I got to give them a shout out, man. Two good wins, and in specifically the Wagner brothers, the way they're playing together right now. They're really good. The win over the Celtics was very impressive. Um, They have the fourth best record in the NBA. When we talked about them, I think it was three weeks ago, we talked about them at the very low point for them in the season where they were losing all those close games. And now since that point, they have the league's longest win streak tied with the uh, Phoenix Suns. So they look good. And by the way, we're in the era of brothers. There's a lot of brothers in the NBA now, a lot of family members, a lot of legacy but Franz and Mo Wagner, what makes them unique amongst the many brothers in the NBA is that they can actually play off of each other. Not only do they right. play together, but, you know, like you have the Morris twins who are, you know, it's not really right. a two-man game you build around them or, you know, the, you're not the holiday the brothers. Offense with the Plumley right. boys is, that, is what you're exactly. saying. Yeah, I got it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But that Celtics game, that – that Celtics game, man, the Wagner brothers were running pick and roll together. And yeah. it was kind of cool to see the chemistry yeah. between two brothers in the clutch against one of the best teams in the league. A lot of fun. And, and look, they've got Bancaro, who ultimately I think has the most upside of all those guys for a very young player. But, you know, Wagner's the guy that they feel most comfortable with handling the basketball in yeah. big moments, big situations. And the thing that's jumping off to me when I watch the Magic is just they their confidence level – belies their actual roster and yeah. and that's what is surprising and, and look that to me speaks to coaching right there there's some message has been conveyed to them and and the way that they're playing together and the right messages are being delivered and it empowers everybody when you can get a group of guys to buy into the collective and buy into playing for each other you can make up for some of your deficiencies and that's what they're doing right now so like i said it's a great story right now it remains to to be seen if it's gonna if this is a great team, right? Or this yeah. is gonna be a great season. But right now, it's a great story. Maybe the best in the entire league. As we're talking, I didn't plan on asking you this, but I got a, a wild thought here. The NBA has changed so much in the last 10 years. Really, since the Steph Curry revolution, we'll call it, the league has changed. The young teams in the league have really taken over. You know, you talk about the Pacers, you talk about the Thunder, you talk about the Magic. I wonder if the Magic are a team of young players who grew up in the mold of the modern NBA. Do you feel that some of these young players and young stars in particular are more comfortable in this new dynamic of NBA and perhaps that's why we're seeing teams like the Magic thrive? That's no question. This is a great point. I've actually had this conversation with other people. You're 100% right for, for two very specific reasons. One, you now, in this era of, of 
of high school basketball, AAU basketball, these guys are so prominent and the, the, the level of tournaments and competition that they're playing in with a national schedule, nothing feels that big to them when they get to the league because they've already experienced mm. like these huge moments. So that's part of it. The other thing that really helps them is the empowerment that you have and the freedom that you have offensively from day one. It used to be, I mean, you go back even to guys like Kobe Bryant, like one of the all-time greatest players, maybe the most confident player ever coming out of high school directly to the league. Go back to his early days with the Lakers, right? And the pressure and the scrutiny that was on every possession, every shot, and you felt it. And, and like the pecking order with the veteran players on your team, that stuff's kind of gone by the wayside. Like guys come in and immediately you are given power and the green light to take the shots that you're comfortable with. You rarely get a reaction out of the coaching staff. You rarely get a reaction out of veteran players. So you're able to come in and be comfortable and, and it doesn't feel too big for you. And there's not an over amount of pressure possession by possession where now, you, you know, it takes a guy half a season to sort of prove himself to where he can get, you know, double digit minutes even. Now guys are coming in, they're, they're plug and play, they're put out there, they're allowed to play through their mistakes, a lot more freedom. So you see guys get a lot more comfortable sooner. My weekend warrior. So we talked about the two teams with a seven game win streak. We have the Orlando Magic and then we have the Phoenix Suns. My weekend warrior is Devin Booker. So he's on the other side of this one. First of all, on Friday against Memphis, he goes for 40 points, five rebounds, uh, four assists and four steals. And then last night on Sunday in a game we're about to talk about, he goes for 28 points and 11 assists. The 11 assists really stood out. I didn't think he had a particularly great all-around game for all 48 minutes, but he had a phenomenal second half. And more importantly, he hits a game winner in Madison Square Garden uh, to lift them to a seven-game win streak. No um, Kevin Durant in this game, and Devin Booker gets it done anyway. So he was my weekend warrior. Uh, I've said it before on this show. The top of the NBA in terms of individual talent is Jokic and Giannis. For me personally, Embiid and Luka probably go right behind those two guys. And then after that, you've got your Tatums. I think Booker and Tatum are kind of comparable players. I watch Booker play, and I just think this guy is so fundamentally sound, so talented, and, and is capable of doing so many things, and I think has the prettiest game in the NBA, that to me, he's right there in that, that next tier behind those guys. And by the way, his teammate Kevin Durant is also in that tier. So to me, I look at Kevin Durant and I look at Booker, and at this moment, I just say, man, these guys are, are kind of on the same level. But he had a phenomenal weekend, Legs. Yeah, it's a great call. We're going to do a little bit of a more thorough discussion here on this Suns-Knicks game because it was highly entertaining and is interesting because you didn't have Durant or Beal, so Booker was out there as the lone star against the Knicks, and it's a game that, you know, Knicks are obviously up for, and yet Devin Booker, I just thought, was the guy that controlled the action. He's a great choice for your weekend warrior, and I, I thought it was one of the more impressive games he's played against the Knicks because of the way he processed um, as a decision maker, ball handler, the lead guard, like what he did in that role, which is not necessarily comfortable to him because he is a elite level scorer and a yeah. shot getter. That's what he does. And when he's got Beal and Durant or Durant or yeah, Chris Paul, whoever's out there, been out there with him in recent memory, like, and he could just go attack. I mean, it's a beautiful thing to watch because he gets on these roles. He's Clay Thompson, like in, in the, these bursts of scoring that he can have, but he had to do something a little different. On, on Sunday. And I was very, very impressed with his approach to that game against the Knicks. 
That I, I love the way you phrased it, and this we can get right into this game because the Suns do get the win, one sixteen, one thirteen. It came down to a tie game with uh, you know final possession, and Booker gets to going right, goes right in front of the Knicks bench and drains a fall away three pointer. Um, and when I say fall away, a fall away three pointer, it was a comfortable fall away. Like he got into yeah. the exact move and, and 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 motion that he wanted to get into. But you're right that. To me, if I break down this game, number one, the Knicks are a great rebounding team, and they got killed on the glass in the first half. I don't know if they were ready for this game. They had a little bit of like Sunday malaise to them in the first half of this game, especially on the boards, and that's why they lost. They fell behind by quite a bit to the Phoenix Suns and had to fight back the rest of the game. Um, but Devin Booker, to your, to your point, this is what stood out to me. He managed the game. He didn't just try to score an outgun, even though he, he winds up with 28 points. He was very collected. He read the double team. He spaced the floor and got the ball where it was supposed to go all game and then stepped up and made the shots down the stretch. So you're right that Devin Booker has really looked good at this specific skill this year. Maybe the absence of Chris Paul has sort of highlighted it because he's had to play more point guard. But this game was perhaps my the most impressive one of the entire year for me in terms of he – ran the team the way it needed to be run to get a win. What he did so well, and look, Eric Gordon helped because Eric Gordon, and by the way, how sensational has he been? Like, you know, what a, what a pickup. And he's been averaging 20-plus in his starts. Um, and he's another guy that could string together shots. And when he gets cooking early, he's got unlimited range. And you saw that he kind of carried them offensively to start the game. Yeah. Because Booker, I think, I loved his approach at the start, which was incredibly patient to see what are they going to do because I'm, you know, I don't have Durant or Beal out here. So what am I going to see as the main ball handler in terms of traps and blitzes and reds and where are they going to hit me? So he wasn't playing super fast downhill early. And fortunately, Eric Gordon allowed him to do that because he got off to a great start. So now you've got a guy cooking. The game is basically even sons are, are operating offensively while Booker sort of processing the floor and reading things. I thought what he did so well was give it up early when the blitzes were coming because the Knicks were sending a guy at him, whether it was ball screen or ISO, when he came over half court, somebody was coming. Yep. But he wasn't waiting until they were in his lap. And sometimes you see guys hold the ball too long and, and try to you know drag out the blitz. And now right. they get back on their heels and they throw a ball that ends up getting deflected or tipped and now it's a turnover. He gave it up early when the double team guy was about halfway to him. And then he, now Gordon was scoring early out of that. But then when they started paying more attention to him, Booker would just kind of take his time and then get the ball back. And then that second attack, now he was looking to really do something with a ball screen to get into his mid-range. He's one of the best mid-range game players of his generation. He, he loves that area of the floor. Or he was looking to then facilitate and get the ball hopping and moving. And so I just thought he played an almost perfect game. He didn't shoot great overall from the field. Yeah. He took some tough shots. But – he did exactly what he needed to do. And then finally, that last shot. Here's what's interesting about that. So, and I could pretty much speak for just about any right-handed player, right-handed shooter. When you do a step back three off the dribble, you like going left. When you are going to run full speed and catch like a dribble handoff, knowing that you're going to have to drift a little bit, you'd much rather go right. And there's a reason for it. Like if you're running left and I take a ball off somebody's hip, my right arm is already kind of already, you know, on that side of my body toward the basket. So your tendency then is to never get your left hip, like turn so that you're square because you have to be square at some point for the ball to have a real chance. 
and you tend not to do it because your right arm is already kind of facing the basket and you end up drifting too far and you're mm. not on balance and it's not straight. When you go right, you're forced to get your right hip around because otherwise you're going to shoot a hook shot, right? So you have to get that, your right shoulder and hip have to turn. And at that point, if you're a great shooter, you practice those kind of shots all the time, messing around in the gym and practicing. Right. Once you get your shoulder and hip square to the basket, you can drift as far as you want as a right-handed player. And you know, you've got a great chance to get that thing on track at the rim. And so that was a very comfortable shot. He said after that looked yeah. hard, it didn't feel hard. <laughs> right. Me. Right. And that's what I guarantee you, any of those Curry, Durant, like any of the top guys, they'd all say the same thing. Yeah, that's not really that hard of a shot. If I get enough space and Randall's a little bit late kind of getting there, gave a decent contest, but not a really anticipatory contest, which would have, I think, thrown the shot off. So it just the way he read that, the skill level to make that shot in that moment was pretty spectacular. It's an interesting point because you are right going left. The step back is almost the thing that squares you up when you're going to your yeah, left. It's the right. sidestep in there. Whereas going to your right, you can go into your jump and then square because of your momentum. So I, I like that point. I, I didn't really think about it that way. And so there was that layer to it, but there was also the layer of on that last play was the first thing you said, which is he gets doubled and he gives it up early and then yes. he gets the ball back. So it's sort of, managed the double team early and then allowed for enough time for him to go and as much as this was a great shot and again i think devin booker has the prettiest game in the nba i honestly think he has the smoothest just most aesthetically pleasing movements on the basketball court of any player so that shot it's funny he said it looked hard i thought it looked easy because he made it look easy he just made it look so so smooth but i thought it was really bad defense for julius randall when i'm watching that play as soon as he turns the corner, I'm like, he's got to, you, you're giving him the space. You're giving him the space now where you're going to run out and put a hand up and it's going to look like a contest, but you're allowing him to kind of run into his movement. And to me, it was a great shot. It was a great read by Devin Booker, but it was also terrible defense by Julius Randle in particular. And I will actually back you up a little bit. I actually thought the first culprit defensively is RJ Barrett because quickly comes running over, Barrett's guarding him, quickly comes running over forces him to give yeah. the ball up barrett at that point is maybe six feet off of booker like toward the basket well as soon as devin booker throws the ball to the other side of the court and quickly then turns to run out and go you know he's going to go rotate out and find you know, whoever he has to rotate to rj barrett immediately has to close down that space jump on the high side of booker yeah. try to deny him the ball or at least force him to take a different angle toward the dribble handoff, but he didn't. So Devin Booker basically gave it up and then just had a free unimpeded run at the dribble handoff with Barrett, you know, six feet off. Now, Randall was the second guy in this. So if you're Randall, Booker ran from, I don't know, I don't know what the distance was. It had to be 20 feet at least to get to the point where he's going to receive the ball. If you're Randall, you've got to be out there earlier and higher knowing yeah. this is the guy that is going to settle this right now yeah. maybe eric gordon ends up somehow getting a shot if, if it's not booker but you know booker's going to go run that ball down and if you're julius randall it's almost like a delayed reaction like oh yeah. wow he's coming for a dribble handoff and now i'm going to try to get out there and it was just too late so i think both of those guys were culprits and uh, you know as it turned out brunson almost bailed him out because his ability to get that shot off in 1.7 yeah. when he 
when he went yep. left, turned, spun back away from the basket as a left-handed player, and now the defender's on your left side. I don't know how Brunson got that ball tracking toward I the agree. rim, but it basically went it basically went in and out. I mean, or that's yeah. a that's a game that we're going to to overtime. So Brunson, as spectacular as he was, didn't have one more in him, but you know Booker did, and the Suns yeah. continue to play exceptionally well right now. And it was the exact thing you're talking about, only opposite. It's a left-handed shooter coming to his right, so he had to kind of inside pivot right. and then and then <laughs> shoot the, the right-handed. So. Um, and I'm with you. When I saw that shot, I was I, I was thinking that's a really impressive miss. <laughs> it looked like he was yeah. going to airball it by five feet, given the way he had to use his footwork. Um, and that was one second left. I mean, at one second left, sideline out of bounds. You're you're pretty much going for a, a prayer. Guys can hit it, but um, you know it is what it is. Um, let's go back to the game here a little bit. This this game and how it played out with the Suns making as many threes as they did. They go 16 of 38. 42%. And as you mentioned, they got contributions from a lot of guys. Goodwin, who actually I thought had a great game, makes two. Nasir Little makes three. That's probably a little bit of a, a, a running hot. Metu hits two. And then Eric Gordon hits six. To me, this is the blueprint for why this, how the Suns need to be different. They did a great job and have done a great job this year, I think, of spacing the floor really, really well. They play basically five out or use Nurkic kind of as, as – as, roaming to set those high screens even he steps out and takes some threes but they space the court really well they extend the traps out because booker's reading the court the way you you were talking about earlier he's doing a better job of setting the table early so that they get good shots but i also think they have very well timed off ball screening so whenever the ball hits nurkic on the roll or whenever booker turns the corner and gets downhill they have really good off-ball action well-timed off-ball actions so that those kickouts are leading to open shooters and I thought they were getting open threes all night long. And when I watch why they lost to the Nuggets last year, they got good shots, but I feel like they have spaced the floor better and they have better off-ball actions now off of Booker to sort of take advantage of how teams are going to defend them in the playoffs. I completely agree. And I think that the personnel additions are just perfectly yeah. suited to what they need to play around these guys. And look, we haven't seen them really together yet, so who knows what, how good it's going to look or how potent it's going to be. I think ultimately when it's all said and done, there's a very good chance the only team that could potentially derail Denver's run back to the finals would be this team if they get to full strength. Because what they're going to end up doing is when you have all three of those guys, and look, they're going to stagger the minutes some so you never have less than two on the court at a time. But there will be times at the start of the game, uh, start of the second half, and the close of the game that right there is about 18 minutes minimum. Those three guys are going to be out there together. Probably will be closer to 25 uh, and then stagger them throughout. What you have is one guy runs action, you know, they'll say coming up the left side of the floor. Well, the, the, then that second star is in slot two at the top of the key. And then the other guys on the weak side. Well, whoever it is that runs the action, they're, they're going to, there's a gravitational pull defensively right you have to start to load and move toward that side of the floor well when they come off they draw their defenders they kick it to the top right off the bat that star player has an advantage with guys rotating out to them mm. right and now and now you already have some space to go attack and then my goodness if you actually get to the point where that guy attacks draws kicks to the weak side there's gonna be a whole lot of catch and shoots or or closeouts against an elite player where it's one-on-one -on -one and the best part, these are three of the best mid-range players in the game today 
Because the reason that's important, there are going to be a lot of guys flying at them at the three-point line with one defender on that side of the floor. Boom. Swing it through. You get to 18. You pull up and shoot it. But not only are they three of the best Adam in the league now, in the case of Booker and Durant, they're two of the best I've ever seen at mid-range contested yeah. jump shots. And yeah. so you, that, that to me is the ultimate bailout in a possession. We know that everybody's hunting down threes. They're going to take early, quick threes. But the game's not decided there. Like you can bury teams from there. But in the playoffs, the games are going to be decided by these shots that are taken inside of seven seconds left on the shot clock where a guy's got to get to a spot, rise up, and knock down a lean back pull-up jumper. And they've got three guys that are exceptional at it. And that's why I can't wait to see how potent this looks with the three of them together, two bigs that want to screen and dive all day, Eubanks and Nurkic, and then you've got guys like Grayson Allen and Eric Gordon and Akogi and Asir Little, and these guys just standing out there waiting on catch-and-shoot opportunities. It's really a scary proposition for the league to try to figure out how to defend this once it's you know all, all parts are in place. Let me play devil's advocate on one point here. This was a very good game with one star and a bunch of role players playing. They had a lot of defenders out on the court and just a lot of guys that were hustling. The guy that stood out to me that I've really liked all year for them has been Keita Bates-Diop. He's never yeah. going to have great stats. 9.7 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 steals, 1 block. I mean, that's a little bit of everything. 3 of 11 from the field and 0 of 5 from 3. So you look at that stat line and go, okay, that's a role player who had a cold shooting night. But to me, when I talk about the off-ball actions, the guys do it, he's one of the guys. He's out there yeah. constantly thinking, how do I contribute? I'm not just a spacer. How do I contribute? Oh, the ball's swinging? I'm going to set a little flare screen on the weak side and then slip and dive to the basket and cut all the way through. And this is one of the things I wonder is, one, does Phoenix have enough defense to win a championship? We know they're going to have enough offense. But on nights like last night, they had a lot of defenders just because they didn't have their offensive guys healthy. So they have a lot of defenders, and they make some things happen. So to me – I almost like what I saw from the Suns last night shorthanded because of that. And then you just wonder when you bring in a Beal and you bring in a Durant, does it come at all at the expense of those guys who are doing the things that opened up so many good three-point opportunities for them in this last game? Yeah, it's going to, it definitely will. And that's going to be, that's why it's going to take time once they get them all back, because you're going to see Frank Vogel is going to have to make some adjustments and you're going to, you're going to have to find out right now. Some of these guys are getting 25 minutes. Well, yeah. can you find the guys that are going to be equally productive in 16 minutes? Because that's what's going to happen. You're going to be shaving 8 to 10 minutes off of some of these guys that are playing a ton now. And it's easy to get into a rhythm in the NBA when you play 25 minutes. Everybody should get comfortable playing that kind of time. Well, can you do that now in 15 and make your impact felt? That is going to be the challenge for, for mm. Frank Vogel and the roster. Yeah. But to your point about is their defense going to be good enough? I don't know that you need to be exceptional defensively and i'll be more specific i said it i said it to start of the sun's discussion i mentioned the denver nuggets the truth of the matter is i don't know that you need to be exceptional defensively but you better figure out something against them right. and right. i don't know what the answer is because and we're going to get into to the spurs and, and nuggets game a little bit later but Jokic is actually at the point where it's so ridiculously simple and easy for him and so efficient and no wasted motion whatsoever. I don't know what you do about that. His ability to control the game against any of these teams in the Western Conference. Like you put the Suns 
in a seven-game series, let's just say everybody's a full strength later in the year, take Denver out of the mix. I don't know. They want to get into a shootout with teams like Dallas or the Lakers or the Warriors. Yeah, man, I think they got enough offense to overcome right. whatever defensive issues they have because I don't think we're talking about any defensive juggernauts out there. Yeah. So it's going to come down to these to these shootouts, and I really like my chances with what they have until you get to the Denver Nuggets. And now it's like, well, how do we how do we find a way to control the game when this guy is controlling the game to such an extent? And and that's going to be the, the big challenge for anybody in the West. But I don't know that we're going to be worried that much about the Suns' defense until we get to that point. The West, by the way, a lot of teams – I mean, they have the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think the Lakers maybe can project to be a very good defensive team later on. But outside of that, Mavericks, incredible offense. Nuggets, incredible offense. Suns, incredible offense. Even Oklahoma City Thunder, incredible offense. Sacramento Kings – we might see some big – I think we're going to see a lot of 40- and 50-point games, 40-point triple-doubles in the West playoffs this year because there's a, there's going to be some matchups of two great offenses with questionable defenses and big-time players. Really quickly before we move on, just I want to quickly mention the Knicks here. They have a 9-7 and seven record. There was a weird – or an interesting stat that was brought up on the broadcast last night. The Knicks are 1-5. I think they might move to 1-6 now when trailing after the first quarter. The Knicks team, I can't really quite make sense of just how good this team is. Um, 11th in offense, 6th in defense. They're kind of middle of the pack in just a lot of different categories. What do you see from them? And, and what's in this game, what stands out to you that uh, is most interesting about the Knicks? Yeah, I agree with you. I, and I think when you look at them right now, and obviously Julius Randle's been off to a horrific start. I mean, you know, offensively, um, 35% from the field. I mean, you know, you, you have a guy that, has the ball the second most amount on your team in usage rate and is playing that way offensively, you're lucky to be over 500. Honestly, I think it's a testament to to, to two things. Mm -hmm. One, the greatness of Jalen Brunson. I mean, I think we can stop acting like, you know, this. wow, Brunson's playing great. Like that's that, that narrative's gone now and just say, this guy's a great player. This is an all league caliber guard. He's that good. It's, and he's amazing because it's a testament to footwork and strength and poise and being made for this big stage, right? Because it certainly is an athletic ability. He's not a blazing guy. He doesn't turn a corner the way a lot of the yeah. guards in this league do. He doesn't get off the ground on his finishes. He's not doing that. He's got exceptional footwork, strength, balance, fundamentals down to a science. And then he's got this other component where he is just built for the big yes. moment. Right, that's what, and and you, and now you know now, my favorite play. Hold up, hold up. You know my favorite yes. play from last night of the whole game. Jalen Brunson gets popped in the nose. I think by Devin Booker, right in the face. Yes. This is fourth yes. quarter. Cuts that off arm, yeah. Cuts that off arm, and it looked rough. Like it looked like most guys would go down and be down for a second trying to recover or whatever. He gets up and drains a three on the very next possession, and I just go, man, yeah. that's a tough dude, man. He is built for the moment. And it's like, we should have known it, I guess, you know, but look, I, and I, I've said this before, I've never missed a ceiling on a player ever as much as I have a Jalen Brunson. I, I saw Brunson a ton in college. I always watched yeah. the big five games in Philly, right? I, I went down to Nova, saw them practice. I was so impressed with the way he carried himself, obviously won a national championship, great college player, player of the year, all those things. But I always got back to this. Okay. In that position, in that league, every night, there's going to be guys quicker, more athletic, yeah. longer. Right. And so it's like, okay, he's going to be a good NBA player. I thought either a starter on a, you know, below average team 
that wasn't really relevant or a backup on a really good team. And we saw him in that role in Dallas. Obviously, he had a great playoff run alongside Luka that led to this contract and coming to New York. But now we know, okay, he is made for this. He didn't care about the contract. He didn't care about going to New York and the media scrutiny and the fan scrutiny. He didn't care about any of that. The guy loves this light. He loves the light. He runs toward the light. And that's what we now know about him. And when you add up all the other intangible skills, you have this great player in your hands. But the other thing that keeps the Knicks in it, while Randall's struggling right now and at times offensively they're ugly to watch, they play hard. They do show up to play. And they're an elite-level offensive rebounding team. Between Mitchell Robinson and Hartenstein and Randall, they're getting 10 to 12 extra possessions a night, just those three guys. Okay, so they're they're, going to keep you in it. And then if you can keep it close, you've got this exceptional decision-maker and scorer-slash-playmaker at the point guard position to settle matters, right, and get you big buckets when you have to. The question is going to be, if Randall picks up his efficiency, which he has to, it can't be this bad all year, Will the Knicks go on a five or six game winning streak at some point? And now, boom, there you go. They're top yeah. four in the East. And now that's where they stay the rest of the year. That's what we're waiting to see. The other guy I love on their roster, by the way, is Quentin Grimes. And he had a little bit of a rough game in in uh, in, in this last one. Although, you know, just one of five shooting. They don't really run much for him. He doesn't touch the ball a whole lot. But I just love his toughness. And when you talk about Devin Booker having a bit of an off shooting night, even though he played well. I, quit, I credit Quentin Grimes, especially in that first half. That guy really plays tough defense. He's got a great-looking shot. I feel like there is a player there to be to be mined that quite, hasn't quite emerged from Quentin Grimes, but he's one of those guys um, that I like quite a bit. we got to move on because we got to get to Victor Wimbanyama. But, um, so on the other side, let's take our first break. On the other side, we're going to talk about Victor Wimbanyama, his matchup with Nikola Jokic and the contrast between those two players. What a contrast. Um, and then later on, we're going to talk about risers and fallers in each conference. Um, but first, NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is celebrating with an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets by throwing down five dollars on the nba win or lose it doesn't matter you'll start the season with an instant dub and with DraftKings parlays everyone's got a shot at bigger paydays bet on multiple games all the way across the nba uh one game on each one bet on each game and you could stack an even bigger win and a bigger payday so basketball is more fun when you're in on the action download the DraftKings sportsbook app now and use promo code all nba new customers can get 200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just five dollars only at DraftKings sportsbook with code all nba the crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, you can call 877-8-HOPE-NY or you can text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, licensed partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, Louisiana, 21 or older, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball. Terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms and responsible gaming resources. All right, also in the association last night, Victor Wembanyama matches up against Nikola Jokic, the center of the future versus the center of the present. Um, the Spurs ride an 11-game win, uh, losing streak rather into Denver. They started off kind of hot. They got wins over the Suns, and you think, okay, is there something here? Is Wembanyama gonna, you know, lead the Spurs to the playoffs in his first year? 
Well, they haven't won since then. So they've been on a little bit of a skid here. And Legs, they're a rough team, man. I haven't watched the Spurs for a little bit and watching them. They are a team that is deficient in a lot of different categories. But the story of this one, Jokic goes for 39 points, 11 rebounds, 9 assists, 17 of 29 shooting. He's shooting way more than he ever has before. Some of this is Murray has been out. But even before Murray went out, Jokic just looks to be trying to score this year more than ever. But it was the way he scored on Wembenyama, the way he scored on Collins, the way he scored on Bassey. This looked like a dad playing against his kids in the way like he wasn't it wasn't just that he was scoring it was that he was almost doing it in a way that felt i don't think he was being disrespectful it's just that he was doing it so easy that you watched it and go man <laughs> the the level this guy is at offensively is insane i was watching this game and i was thinking to myself i think you could search the world over find the best person in the world at and name it uh artist mechanic brain surgeon dancer yeah. you know what a saxophone player you will never find anyone at the top of their game on the globe doing anything that looks as easy as what nikola Jokic was doing last night it yeah. was laughable how he at no point was he knocked off balance rhythm or anything else it was that easy and that simple for him. And, and that's what I was saying earlier. It, it's You think you've seen it enough now that you're not surprised by it. And yet I thought, I thought last night was honestly one of the easiest great performances of his life um, because it, it, he had an answer for everything. And look, it was, this game was weird because it got close a couple of times and it was not really a close game. But a couple yeah. times, San Antonio got within striking distance, and you know, Mike Malone would call timeout and look, look, try to fake genuine concern, you know. And I'm going, <laughs> come on, man, we both know what's going to happen after this timeout. You're going to run four straight yeah. plays through Jokic. <laughs> it's going to be back to 15, and that's what happened every single time. And it was either, it's at the point now where anytime they run, he runs the, the little flip hand off at the top of the key, and then just dives straight down the lane and gets it back from that guard. If he has any space, if they don't rotate over the weak side and he shoots that little one-foot floater inside of 12 feet, I don't know what – if he did that in practice before the game with no defense, his skill level is so high on that shot when he just dives straight down the lane, catches it just inside the foul line and sort of flips it up, I would guess he'd make 80 to 85 out of 100 of those. Well, well, hold on, Legs, because I have a fun stat for you, and this was courtesy of okay. NBA University. Let's pull it up here. Let's look at this. Most field goal attempts between five and nine feet. Jokic leads the NBA in attempts. He's taken 84. The number two player is Jaron Jackson, who's taken 61. So he's taken 23 more from that range than any other player. But look at the efficiency, Legs. 68% from Jokic. Everybody else is in the 30 and 40s. He's at 68%. Not only does he take the shot more than anyone, he makes it almost twice as often as anyone. And it this is the secret. Like everybody talks about Jokic's passing or, or the difference, his IQ. Perhaps his number one most dominant trait is his ability to shoot the floater shot from five to nine feet. And when you have a player like seven foot four Victor Wimbanyama, you think, okay, this is a test of that floater. How's he gonna do? Because now the 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 arc has to be even higher. No bother. Was it made no impact on Jokic? He just shot it a little bit higher, and it went in at the exact same rate. That number, though, 30 percent better than everybody else shooting that shot is insane. Yeah, that's so. That's what I was saying. Like so, and those are those, yep. that's game action. That's game action. There's traffic. Right. There's guys in there, right? There's actual defenders trying to stop you and make you less efficient. 
So he has perfected that. It's it's absolutely deadly. So the only way to stop that is to have as he hands it off and and then and then immediately spins to come straight down the lane. You obviously have to have weak side rotation so that he can't even get the ball because if he catches the ball, it's going to be a floater that's going to go in sixty eight percent of the time. If he catches the ball and you, and then you do get there in time to stop the shot, it's an immediate kick to the left corner or left wing for a wide open three, and they punish you on that shot. So his hands, his touch, his feel for where he is. You know, you talked about this field goal percentage inside, you know, ten feet. The plays he had on Wembenyama or Zach Collins, where he caught the ball in the post and they're on his back. His ability to 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 spin at angles where you don't know how he's picking up the rim, as he's coming out of the spin, he's already shooting the basketball with these little jump hooks and these soft floaters. But there's no way that he should know even where the rim is sometimes because he'll yep. spin both directions on the same move before he finds that space. We've talked about his leverage before. He reads your body and eventually he'll find the right way to spin. But he's at weird angles, awkward angles, and sometimes it's off the glass. Sometimes it's over the front of the rim. But it's so certain where the ball's going to end up. It's absurd. And and last night was just an absolute clinic. And Wembenyama, you know, he had some – listen, he had some plays in the game where you're like, oh, my God. Like, especially a couple of lobs he caught from ridiculous angles and, and where he jumped from. And Reggie Jackson, I think, unfortunately got in two of those for three point plays where he was like late to get there and thought he could go up and get it. And when, is like, no, I'm not having it. Uh, so he makes plays like that, but there's an awful lot there that like, he has so much room for growth. It is scary. He can put up this kind of a stat line in less than 30 minutes when he really right. hasn't figured out yet how to be patient and be stronger and get the shot he wants. And he doesn't know any of that stuff yet and still has these, these ridiculous stat lines like he had last night. So the ridiculous stat line is 22 points, 11 rebounds. So that's a, a solid double-double for a rookie. I mean, have a really good double-double. But then he adds two assists, six steals, and four block shots. You get 10 stocks in a game. You know, that that's pretty massive. And by the way, he did it in 25 minutes. It wasn't even like he was playing a huge minute total here. So I got to be honest with you, Legs, and I, I, we'll get into the Wemby conversation now. He's so interesting because he does things that are obviously very important, steals and blocks, rim protection. And he does them at so effortlessly. And even when he doesn't quite see the game, he just makes steals. He gets his hand in passing lanes. He disrupts. But at the same time, he's got so many skills that or he's he's got so much to learn. And I wonder what the mold of player is. He's a really hard one for me right now to figure out. You know, where are you at with Wemby when what you've seen? And, you know, I guess this is kind of a broad, a broad question. Are you impressed so far? I mean, obviously we're impressed, but are you as impressed as you expected to be knowing that the expectation for this guy is generational talent? Yeah, I am. I, I, I was realistic. I, you know, I always am with these guys because I understand, man, what that's going to feel like to him getting out there um, on this floor with with the the speed pace of this game and, and the athleticism right. that's out there and, and the physical strength of guys. I, you know, so yes. He's about what I thought he would be at the start. Now, what I see, and he had some opportunities to do it last night. I think even more maybe last night than other games I've watched him play. He had some opportunities with space where he could go one-on-one -on -one a little bit right, and start to put the ball down between his legs and like operate and work on guys to get to a better spot on the floor. Because there's a lot of nights I've watched him, and he spends most of the entire game sort of drifting around the perimeter 
and trying to find yeah. open pockets at the three-point line, or he's yeah. running the break and now throwing up to him. That's kind of what his offense has been. But I think ultimately where he's going to be start to become unguardable, and this might be a couple of years down the road, his ability to put it down and get into mid-range shots mm-hmm. and think about it, shoot over any defender in the league no matter how long. Doesn't matter. He's going to get off quality looks. And it might be leanbacks, it might be fadeaways, look like tough shots. He can get it off whenever he wants because he's got the handle to create separation and get to areas of the floor. Now, right now what's happening, he's, he's, he's operating like that, but he ends up taking the shot you want him to take at the end of it because he's not physically strong enough yet. Uh, he's got the ultimate green light. I mean, he is right now the focal point of their offense in terms of shoot it whenever you want. So he's got right. the freedom to do it, but he's not getting the shots that are highly efficient shots yet that is going to come because i think the handle into his shot is where you're going to start to see this force offensively in addition to catching three four lobs a game you know, getting some stuff in transition where you throw it ahead and he can go for one dribble practically from half court and get to the rim like you're going to see that added but i think the real thing that's going to separate him and make him you know a lethal potent offensive force in a few years is going to be the ability to get to a spot, elevate, and shoot over people off a live dribble. And that's you don't least you see glimpses of it right now because the competition level is so good. That to me is, and you saw some of it last night that's pretty impressive when he puts it down for a guy that size and gets to his mid range shot. Where I'm skeptical of that, you know, when you see him dribble and handle the ball in warm ups or in practice or whatever, it's unbelievable. You get a defender into him that gets physical with him and takes away the space. I just wonder how effective of a ball handler he's going to be, in part because, look, man, the dribble is a six-foot dribble. Just no matter what he does, he's so tall that there's a lot of space to try to get in there. But even just the physicality, like the only guy who has that build that has been hyper-efficient as a ball handler has been Giannis. And Giannis obviously added a bunch of weight to him. You know, Kevin Durant, I guess you could say as well. But you look at a Porzingis. Porzingis, I remember his workouts coming in. He had the crossover. He had step back behind the back stuff. And then you get to the NBA level and he can't do that because guys get into him and he just doesn't have the the leverage to do that. That's what I worry about with Wemby. He does have a great handle, but is it a functional handle? And is there a path for him? I'm I'm more skeptical, I think, than you are that that handle is going to become functional. He's got to add core strength and leg strength. And when that that's the thing. He doesn't have that yet. He's too young. He's never really been put on the kind of you know strength conditioning yeah. training he's going to get now. Okay, so the growth just from a functional strength standpoint, it might not necessarily translate into where you go, oh, wow, look, look at how much mass he's put on in his lower body. You, you're not going to see it because of his frame. He's going to be so much stronger in his ability to handle the ball a guy gets into him with a forearm into his hip. What's happening right now when he feels that, he immediately then steps away from the basket and leans back and tries to shoot over you 18 to 22 feet. Like that's what he's going to do. What's going to happen is as he gets stronger in his core and his and his and his his glutes and his hams, right? He's going to be able to now withstand that initial contact and then either continue in the same direction plant and go up vertically over the top of guys and basically force someone to foul yeah. him okay yep. or or shoot it at least in a vertical plane where he's now getting off a more unbalanced shot or he's going to be able to stop spin back take you back the other direction for a quick pull-up jumper or, or shoot a step back going in that direction where he goes up and down in the same place 
He doesn't have the functional core strength to be able to do that right now. So his bailout shot is, I'm taller than you. I'm longer than you. Ultimately, I know I can get this shot off if I just lean back and fade away from the basket because he's not strong enough to play through the contact and stay on balance. That is where I do think there's growth because I think his handle far superior than anything Chris, a guy like Porzingis yeah. ever had. But Durant, Durant's got the handle of like a two guard in a 6'11 yeah. body. It's the, I think and it's he the, developed I think, that, by the way. He developed that. He wasn't that way his very first year. He really got his handle over the course of his first six, seven years in the completely, league. Completely. Completely. Go back and look at film of him his rookie year in Seattle and watch what he was doing, man. He was doing a lot of off pin downs, coming yeah. off, catching the ball, terrible shot selection. He was off balance all the time. He added the handle and the ability to now operate in a tight space and then use my length as the ultimate weapon. But once I feel like I've gained an advantage on you somehow with my handle and where it's taking me, right now Wembenyama just puts it down to put it down. There's no plan and there's no strength to be able to maintain that through the contact. So I do think there's a lot of growth there. And then defensively right now he is a presence, so he affects the game, but he's not anticipatory at all in right, what he's doing right. defensively, right? It's just length that all of a sudden appears yeah. and he gets a deflection, a tip, he alters a shot. But it's not like he's really in that ready stance or like that Kevin Garnett level of intensity on that end of the floor where he's seeing everything and anticipating. Because once he gets that, man, he's going to be a force on both ends, unlike maybe anything we've really ever seen. Have we? But – what is the certainty that he is going to get that? Because I always wonder about reading, especially on the defensive court, where does that come from? It comes from reps, and then some guys pick it up and sometimes don't over time. So how confident are you that he's going to get that specific part of it? I think he's going to pick it up. I think here's one thing that's working against him right now, and that's why for me, if I were voting today, you know, and if we had a long way to go, or a month plus in for rookie of the year, it's not close. It's Chet Holmgren. It's not close. Mm -hmm because he's playing in meaningful games. He's playing in a competitive environment. There's an accountability to what you're doing defensively. There's accountability to what you're looking at in the film room and what you're applying on the court once you get out there. Because they're similar type guys. They're long, lean. They pack the game defensively. Holmgren, like, he loves to play defense. He loves to chase things down. But he's so much better and more alert when you watch him play and what he's anticipating because he's in a competitive environment that's making him accountable to do that. Spurs aren't. Spurs, there's absolutely no accountability right now. Like, yeah, they want to develop Victor Wembanyama as the year goes on, but take a look at how relaxed Greg Popovich is in the course of these games. And what are they? What are they? Three and fourteen? Three and fifteen now? Three and fourteen, right? So, my point is, there's not the heightened level of like scrutiny over what you're doing on that end, and I think that is going to work against Wembanyama's development this year. He's going to get opportunities, going to get more confidence. He's going to have some games the second half of the year. He's going to put up monster scoring nights. There's no doubt in my mind. But right. the overall package and player, when you are playing in games that matter, when you're expected to win, when you get to the arena, this matters. Oklahoma City is playing for something. And by the way, they've got another guy on the roster that's an all that's an you know an all league caliber talent. He is Shea Gilgis Alexander is the face. So Holmgren is riding shotgun to that right now. It's a very comfortable spot. Wembenyam is not. He's already the guy with no accountability to win games. I think that's actually going to hurt his defensive development because there's not a readiness about you. And I saw last night jogging a couple times and plays where you, you know, if you busted to get back, you have an effect on the play. He's kind of in jog mode a little bit.
because there's no purpose to what they're doing on that end of the floor because you're not going to win any right. games. And I think that's I think that's going to hurt his development this year defensively. Offensively, getting the opportunities overall will help his development. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I thought the same thing last night. It was are, are they a little too relaxed? You know, this year the pressure almost a little too low for him. But I have two questions about Wemby, and then we got to move on. But the first one is you mentioned the handle as being this pivot point for you last week, or or maybe the week before. I talked about how I like to think of basketball players in terms of running backs and receivers, meaning running backs, guys that with the ball in their hand, they create openings. And then receivers are guys that move off ball and gain space off ball and and, and then score. I actually think Wemby might may have a steeper learning curve on the latter part because he's so big. Finding ways to gain inside position off ball is going to be huge. And right now he only takes four and a half shots uh, in the paint per game, which is really low for a guy that is his height. But I think part of that is he's not very strong. You mentioned the core strength. He needs to get stronger. But also, there's just an angles and position battle you play with guys. When they rotate over, okay, gain a little bit of space. Now they move. You you spin your body. Think about how big his axis is when he spins and rotates with his wide stance. Gain a little bit. Go left. Make the defense step. Go right. And you just gain a little bit. And now you're six feet from the basket and you catch it. And nobody can stop you from the little jump hook. I feel like that to me is where he could be the mo- he can grow the most as an offensive player is gaining space and learning how to gain little micro foot here foot there off ball so that when the ball does come into you you're already in a compromised position. Fair point. I think the other thing that I've already seen that and this is not all his fault because he does run down there sometimes and and try to seal guys. And he yeah. puts his arm up. He's an easy target. And there's two things working against him. One, his inability to hold that position. So And, and so guys get into your kidneys yeah. a little bit, get into your waist, right, and they can push you off. But I also think they don't have a great entry pass team. There's, these true. aren't guys that are highly yeah. adept at because there's a timing to it. You know, big guy like that who's not going to be able to hold a spot very long because he just doesn't weigh that much. He doesn't have that kind of strength. A guy like that, when he runs hard and tries to get down there and turn and get a guy on his back and his defender, sometimes you can't see these guys. They're so small compared to him. And that hand comes up, the ball's got to be in the air so that he can catch it right there at eight feet, whatever he is. And now he can just turn and shoot over guys. It's a weapon, but that's not what's happening. The ball's not coming right away. So now by the time maybe somebody does look to throw it in there, he's been pushed out to 12 to 14 feet. And now the defense has the advantage. So, there are opportunities there to be had that I think their team can get better at delivering the ball right at that split second that he needs it. I think you're right. I think there are options off the ball where he could get better at at slashing and cutting and catching these high passes on the move and finishing. And then I do think he's going to get better and better as the year goes at being able to, it doesn't have to be eight, 10 dribbles. You got to be really good in three to four. Yeah, and be able to yep. get to your spot, elevate, and get over the top of guys. And and so, look, I think there's a credible amount of potential. He's he, you know last night puts up 22 points on 17 shots. He had 45 positive stats in 25 minutes. Okay, so and that's without yeah. really understanding like what's happening out here and right. how to best utilize my length. He doesn't even have any yeah. grip on that yet, and he's still putting up these kind of stat lines. I think it bodes well for for the second half of the year for him. And I think, you know, let's get into about year three 
you're going to have a much better understanding because it's just so unique, this body type. We've got to give it time to develop. And we've got to get him to develop you know, on a better team and see if they get more competitive, yeah. how does that affect him and his adrenaline and his, and his ability to push himself? Because I think right now there are moments in the game he's kind of cruising because, yeah. again, you're 3-14, and, and, and that's what happens when you're on a bad team in the NBA and it's an 82-game season. That team is really bad, too. I mean, to your point, just putting an average team around him is going to make a huge difference. But real quick, um, I'm going to do something unfair and put you on the spot here. And, and, right. and we got to keep it short. But do you think at this moment through 17 games or six, I think he's only played 16. Do you think he tops out as an all-star, tops out as an MVP, or tops out as a top 10 player in the history of the game, if you were to say right now? Hmm. All right, I'm going to – because it's so unique and he's, I've been impressed enough, I, I'll put him down as an MVP caliber player, like eventually down the road. Yeah. It's too soon to say the top 10 all-time stuff because there's so much goes into that with longevity yep. and there's just – and team success. Who knows what his decisions are going to be down the road? Is he going to be a lifetime spur? Does he move on like a lot of guys do? So there's – team success – factors so much more into like top 10 and those kinds of lists drive but, and competitiveness and things we just don't know yet we have to see him like yeah. don't know enough about him but he's got he's got a skill set with the shooting ability and the soft hands and the length and and the impact he can have on both ends I, I'll, I'll go ahead and say yeah you got to go ahead and continue to lean toward this guy could be an mvp one day Definitely feels like floor is all star though. That's why that's why I only gave you those three yeah. options. Um, yeah. All right, really rap, rapid fire before we get out of here. I challenged you to come up with one team in each conference that is in the top six currently that you think has a the best chance of falling out of the top six uh, by the end of the year. So right now you have the Celtics, Magic, Bucks, 76ers, Pacers, and Heat. When you look at that lot, who do you feel might be the most fool's gold out of all of those six? Oh, all right. Listen, what I what I've seen so far out of the Orlando Magic, right? I hate to do this to you because it's one, it's hands down the best team story in the league. Twelve and five, a roster that does not indicate that that's going to be the case. But I'm starting to fall in love with watching them. I mean, they're fun. Yep, same. And they're con they're confident, and they they are they they can do things offensively that make them very hard to guard with some versatility on their players. You know, I, I'm surprised that they've got four different guys that play guard spot. None of them are natural lead guards, but they kind of do it by committee. And on a given night, as long as one of them or one and a half of them has a, has a good scoring night to go with the Wagners and to go with Boncaro, like it gives you a chance every night. So give them a lot of credit. But look, if you're asking me to take a pick out of those top six teams right now who would not be in the top six, you know, at the end of the season, I would probably say the Magic. And look, that's going to be a steep fall because I, even a team like Indiana is only nine and six, so that, you know right. they only have to drop a few games, and there they are. But Magic, they've really got to have a precipitous decline. And right now, I'm just going to say I'm not fully bought in or a believer on the Orlando Magic. So I would say that would be my team that I would think most likely would be below what I call the Mendoza line in the Eastern. There Conference. you go. One thing that's interesting about the Magic. Franz and Mo Wagner, gold medalists. They win the the uh, FIBA World Cup this summer. They get a gold medal. And I always like, you can't put too much stock into that. But I, sometimes I look at that and I go, some guys just win. And it doesn't always look the way you think. But they just, they do the things that help you win. I think Jalen Suggs is a winning player. They've got some winners on that team. And, yeah, and like that. that, that's part of why I like them. All right, now the bottom eight. 
Who is a team you think is most likely to rise? You've got the Knicks, Cavs, Hawks, Nets, Raptors, Hornets, Bulls, Pistons, and Wizards. I'm going to say the Knicks. I, I think they've got the goods at the at the lead guard, the most important spot. Then yeah. they've got they they play hard. They it's going to come down to Randall, and I just think he's he's going to be significantly better at some point this year. He's going to have a long stretch of high, much more highly efficient game so right now you look up they're over 500 and he has played as poorly as he has offensively so i would say the yeah. knicks the Cavs are probably right there in that discussion as well it's kind of a little bit of head scratcher uh though they've had some guys out but i think the knicks when it's all said and done will be in the top six well they made their run in the second half last game in large part because julius randall i think he had a 14 point third quarter or something like that so he is the difference when he's playing well that team is a completely different team and I, I do think he is obviously the, a big pivot point for them. All right, let's go to the Western Conference. Timberwolves, Thunder, Suns, Nuggets, Mavericks, Kings. This is some good teams here. Who's most likely to fall in the West? It is, and this isn't a huge drop-off because they're already in fifth place, but I'll say Dallas. You know, Dallas yeah, was to start the year. We were all talking about Dallas. And, and look, he and Kyrie do fit better together. They, Kyrie looks especially more comfortable this year, and they, they added some pieces. They added Grant Williams. They added Lively. They added some guys – that fit well with them and help them, but there's still just something about them when I watch them play. And I think it's, it's, it's Luca, you know, his greatness is undeniable. He might be the most potent offensive force in the league, but there's something about him in terms of his leadership and, and, and dragging everybody with you because of your desire mm. to just leave it out there every night. I, I still think there's something lacking there. And I think ultimately they have to outscore you or they have to keep it close and then let one of these two great players finish things late. And I just think that's a tough formula uh, to win in this league. And, and that's that's why I think Dallas ultimately – and look, it's also, by the way, a testament to how good I think Minnesota, Oklahoma City, Phoenix, yep, you know, Sacramento, Denver, yep. those teams are. And then you got the Lakers yep. hovering. you got the Pelicans who have been playing without McCollum. They've got better basketball in them. So – it's, it's, it's also a testament to that, the group of teams that they're being compared to. But I think Dallas probably won't be in the top six when it's all said and done. All right, do the hard thing. Then Lakers, Rockets, Pelicans, Warriors, Clippers, and then a host of tanking teams. But who's going to be the team to rise? I'm going to go with the Lakers. You know, I think ultimately I think they're in the top six when it's said and done. And, and you know, a lot of that's going to depend on the health and consistency of Anthony Davis. But they had, they had, they had a rough start both injuries and I think some guys were really slow out of the gate for them that you're expecting more out of. So I think the Lakers are the team that I look to grab a little bit of that real estate. And you're not talking about a significant jump here and it's yep. going to be a battle all year because these teams are so good. You can see some fluctuation, but I think the Lakers, when it's all said and done, avoid the play in. Pelicans to me might be the most talented team, but I just yeah. don't trust them. We talked about them last week. We both love their roster. We love their role players, but I don't know if I trust them. I do trust LeBron James. Uh, and what I've seen out of him. So uh, I'm with you. I think we agreed on all the teams actually in this one. So maybe the oh, NBA is starting to shake out, <laughs> starting to shake out the way we expected. Guys, it is good to be back and talking NBA. Um, we're going to be back on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday this week. So a full week of shows for you, uh, breaking down all of the best stuff in the NBA. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor, leave us a five-star rating and review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe on YouTube. Help us grow this show. We're going to be live again tomorrow. Uh, I believe it is 12 Eastern tomorrow, 10 o'clock uh, Mountain Time. Everybody, hit the like button on the way out. We'll see you tomorrow.
the mayor. 